Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, your source for learning more about fly fishing in cold water, warm water, and salt water. Hello, I'm Roger Maves, your host for tonight's show. On this broadcast, we'll be featuring Will Blair, and he'll be answering your most important questions on Kamchatka's wild rainbows. This show will be 90 minutes in length, and we are broadcasting live over the Internet. If you'd like to ask Will a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and use the Q&A text box to send us your question. We'll receive your question immediately, and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. And while you're there, make sure you sign up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. Just fill in your name and email address in the form on our homepage, and we'll let you know when the next show is. This broadcast is being recorded and will be available for playback on our website about 48 hours after the show ends. So if you have to leave early, you can return to the website at your convenience and listen to the broadcast at any time. The content of this broadcast is copyrighted and is the property of the Knowledge Group, Inc., doing businesses ask about fly fishing. Recordings or transcriptions of this program cannot be distributed or sold in any form. When we return, we'll be talking with Will Blair about Kamchatka's wild rainbows. Watermaster is dedicated to providing their customers with the highest quality inflatables on the market, as well as unbeatable customer service and product support. They are best known for their signature products, the Watermaster Grizzly and Kodiak rafts. These rafts are lightweight, compact, durable, versatile, and safe. The Watermaster rafts are everything your personal watercraft should be. They have been used by anglers and hunters all over the world for over 15 years, including Dave Whitlock, one of fly fishing's greatest innovators. Dave said, with my Watermaster, I can enjoy more fishing per hour than any other method I have ever tried. After two and a half years of testing 15 models of kickboats, I'm convinced that the Watermaster is the ultimate personal flotation craft for warm and cold water fly fishing. Visit Watermaster today and take a look at the ultimate personal flotation craft. Go to www.bigskyinflatables.com. That's bigskyinflatables.com. Before we introduce Will, we'd like to let you know about the great prizes we have to give away tonight. For our drawing tonight, we'll be giving away a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International and a one-year subscription to Fly Fishing and Tying Journal. So you have two chances to win in our drawing tonight. Now, if you haven't registered yet for the drawing, you can do so now. Just go to our homepage, which is at askaboutflyfishing.com, and look for the link under Will's section that says, Click here to register for the drawing. Click on that link, fill out the form, and we'll announce the winners at the end of the show. We'll also be giving away, courtesy of Will Blair and the Best of Kamchatka, an official Best of Kamchatka uh, ball caps. So uh, if you'd like to win that tonight, here's how you do it. You have to be the first person to answer the question we ask at the end of the show. And the question will be something that we talk about during the show. Uh, you must submit the answer along with your name and location in the text box on our homepage, the same place that you can ask questions during the show. So listen closely and use your best typing skills and be the first one with the right answer or answers. Sometimes I make it a two-part question, so take good notes. And uh, maybe you'll win that, uh, that nice hat from the best of Kamchatka. Our guest tonight is Will Blair. Will grew up fishing the rivers and creeks of Michigan. After a move out west, he went to Alaska focused on wilderness rainbow fisheries. In 1994, Will read about the wilderness of Kamchatka, and it was a life-changing moment for him. First working as a guide back in 1970 and 1998 on Kamchatka for Katmai Lodge's Zupanova River program, and he also spent the 2008 season on the Sopochanaya River for Kamchatka Steelhead Project. Having just whet his appetite, 
He then spread his wings and has spent the years since exploring both coasts of Kamchatka. Will feels that Kamchatka is an opportunity not to be seen again ever. Will spent three years as Kamchatka travel director for the fly shop. He's also the marketing manager for Rapids Camp Lodge on the Naknek River in Bristol Bay. And in the interim, he fished many great destinations in South America, always chasing trout around the next river bend. Will is privileged to operate three full-service programs on Kamchatka with his longtime Russian partner. When not in Kamchatka, he enjoys camping, hiking, and photography with his wife and daughter in the Front Range of Colorado. Will, welcome to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. Hi, Roger. Nice to talk to you again. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is exciting. Kamchatka is always exciting. The, the yeah, it's always interesting. Away, huh? <laughs> you know, it's actually not very far, being 1,821 air miles and four hours from Anchorage. It's pretty close. It's way closer <laughs> than people think. Yeah. The plat is closer to us, Well, <laughs> No question. No question. <laughs> so, but, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, but, I mean, isn't that always the case? I mean, we have water in our backyard, yet those faraway places. Uh, even if they're only 1,800 miles and four hours away, uh, attract us, you know. It's, right, um, right, right. I get the it. wilderness, you know, the wilderness is is always attractive. But, uh, well, we got lots of questions for you tonight. And uh, okay. good time to kick this off. I know you're doing the fly fishing show uh, here in Denver. And are you doing any other shows uh, or just the one in Denver? Or what? Um, we're going to do Denver. Denver? I'm doing the Virginia Wine and Fly Fishing Festival next weekend. Then we're doing New Jersey Fly Fishing Show. Then the Atlanta Fly Fishing Show. Then the uh-huh. Linwood Fly Fishing. Hello? Yeah. Can, can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, then the Linwood Washington Show. Uh, for uh, Some of the questions I see are from Oregon and Washington. And then I think we finish it off with the Dallas show, uh, brew and, uh, and, uh, fly fishing festival in March. So we're doing yeah. quite a few shows, which is pretty normal for us. Yeah, yeah. Good, good. Yeah, that's quite extensive. Yeah, well, folks, visit the shows, come see Will, and, uh, you'll tell even more about Kamchaka than, uh, than we can tonight. But we're gonna give it a good shot here. So let's just start out with where is Kamchaka and how do you get there? Okay, so uh, if you look on a world globe, you go straight above Japan. It's the huge fish-shaped peninsula that hangs off the Russian Far East. It's a thousand-mile-long peninsula. Um, from top to bottom, it's about thousand miles, and it has uh, one dirt road. It's a little bit bigger than California and half of Oregon um, combined. And one and road. you get there for one dirt road. <laughs> it's not going to be dirt much longer all the way, but it's most of it's still dirt, and some of it isn't even open a lot of the time because of volcanic activity. Um, you fly from Anchorage to Petropavlovsk. Uh, there's a once-a-week flight in the summertime that we utilize to get people in and out every Monday morning. And 7.30 departure a.m. and at 6 a.m. arrival back in uh, Anchorage the next Monday. So it's a really, this has been uh, the schedule we've used since about 2008 um, and really works quite well. 
And do, do most of the travelers on that flight, are they mostly fly fishers, or what, what else do people go there? Probably 70% of them are fly fishermen. Um, the rest are volcanologists, ecotourism, trekking. Um, there's a huge contingent of wildflower viewers in July. Uh, one of the fascinating things, and one of the really, you know, troubling long-term things for me as somebody in the tourism business is that Kamchatka is not really caught on. You know, when there's millions and millions and millions of people that go to Alaska every year to see very similar topography and stuff, and, and, and Kamchatka is still virtually, you know, almost no one there for the majority yeah. of the peninsula. There's There's just no people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's we're running out of planet, you know, and we're running. We're not getting any more water yeah. to fish, so but more people. So they're presenting. Yeah, so we, you know, the fact. Well, this is something I've always thought about with Kamchatka is that, you know, and this is I was chewing on it last night is what is the important thing, the story to tell about Kamchatka right now. And what I think is important from a fly fishing fisherman standpoint is the baseline fish populations that we're able to take a look at on the peninsula right now. What do you mean baseline? You with me? Yeah. Well, so what I mean baseline is it's they're historical. So some of the rivers that we fish – um, the vast majority of them that we fish on the peninsula have almost zero impact um, ever historically from anybody. And they're all native. They're all wild fish. Um, you know, they've never been stocked ever. Uh, the Russian biologists will, you know, very strongly voice their opinion. Uh, one of the questions that, that I see is what it's a – Wild Rainbow, where's the DNA from? Um, the DNA is from Kamchatka. Um, there's native, totally wild fish. They've never been stocked. It is not a uh, stock fishery. Yeah, yeah. Now, I, I look at Kamchatka and the, you know, the map uh, that you sent me, which uh, if anybody wants a detailed map, you can uh, get one through uh, Will, through his website, thebestofkamchatka.com. And... Um, and go to the contact us page and just request it, and, and we'll, we'll help you out there. But uh, really nice map. But it looks like, and I'm looking. I mean, there's water everywhere on this peninsula as far as rivers go. Um, a huge central valley there in the west coast is all kinds of rivers flowing to the to the sea. Um, well, is, is the whole place yeah. fishable? <laughs> no, you know, and, no. and that's part of the deal. That uh, really to get to the great fisheries. Like so many places, you have to get onto small aircraft. Uh, things that are heavily road accessed are not going to be what I what, what I just mentioned baseline. Um, but things that can only be accessed by small aircraft are total baseline, untouched fisheries. So you know it's not it's not one of those one of the things that. Uh, you just can say, this is going to be great. A lot of guys will say, have asked me that question, and they'll say, well, what, you know, when we drive 
So when we land in Petropavlovsk, flying from Anchorage, and you look at a map of Kamchatka, Petropavlovsk, the main city where the airport is, is completely surrounded by mountains. So many years ago, about 10 years ago, we decided that instead of taking a helicopter directly out of Petro because we would get stuck there all the time, I remember Bobby Knight yelling at me the second day, we were stuck back in 2001 in Petro because we used to fish the West Coast and we had to fly out of Petro. We changed our whole program in 2007. So we bus out of Petro about three and a half hours to the Central Valley to get into that rain shadow. And then we have a much straighter shot without any mountains to go up to our programs. And, you know, uh, while we drive on that road, there's beautiful rivers, the, the Bistria River, the Plotnikova, the Bolshaya. You know, these are road-access rivers, and they've been impacted fairly heavily since uh, Perestroika. Impacted by and, industrial and, activity or what? No, mostly from people fishing, heavily fishing oh, them. okay, okay. Both with nets and spinning gear, uh, no catch and release. I mean, catch and release is a, is a somewhat of a foreign thing. And, and then to the Russian populace's good faith to them, it's something that was foreign to them because, you know, it makes sense. Fish is food. We're going to catch fish and we're going to eat it. And until recently, catch and release was very foreign, but it's starting to catch on. And fly fishing is starting to catch on and trying to understand that they are dealing with baseline populations, that they have the ability to protect from the baseline is really part of what, what I hope to see in the future of Kamchatka. So now um, tell us about um, the rivers that uh, you fish um, and guide on and what the differences are between them. So we, we fish three totally distinct programs. They're pretty straightforward. Tuyert River, which is actually Dvayertishnoya, Ozera, comes out of a big glacial moraine lake that gets about 300,000 sockeyes in it. Big lake drain, crystal clear. We do a float trip there. We have five sets of cabins. We float down between each set of cabins, and it's a... It's a super prolific rainbow fishery. It doesn't have some of the bycatch of grayling and char that we'll see on our other programs, but it is a truly a big numbers of really nice sized rainbows. Where we float on that river is where all the king salmon. So it gets a big run of king salmon as well big run of chum salmon, big run of silver salmon that all come up the Kamchatka River, then turn up a river called the Yalovka, which the Tuyert River drains into, and we fish right below the lake where all those salmon drag all the rainbows from three systems and place them right there for about two months a year. And that's why it's a big numbers fishery and uh the nice thing about it is it's always crystal clear. Chista vada, uh, one of some of the first Russian words I learned were clear, was clear water. Um, then just north of there, about 80 miles, we have a program on the Azranaya River, which actually drains 
huge spring lakes on the South Fork, which they actually uh, call the the Left Fork, and the North Fork is comes out of a big lake. So it runs crystal clear all the time. It's 120 miles long. It's a giant main stem river that goes directly into the Bering Sea, gets huge runs of everything, giant runs of dollies, has big populations of grayling, uh, big salmon populations, I mean, incredible silver salmon populations, big king salmon populations. The thing, though, is a rainbow trout population in there is spectacular, um, and it's a giant spring creek. Um, we run 10 anglers a week there with jet boats, and two people do a jet boat and run all around. Uh, it's got a bunch of big tributaries that we jet boat and hike into as well that are full of great big rainbow trout. And then in 2014, I restarted a program that I fiddled around with about 10 years ago called Rainbows from Above, where we fly out in a small helicopter with four anglers a day to lots of different rivers. Uh, I mean, we probably fish 15 different drainages from that program out of a base lodge at the headwaters of Two-Yurt Lake. So we have three distinct properties operating at the same time all summer long. Mm-hmm. Now, um, you mentioned a bunch of other um, fish that <laughs> – you could be catching as well. I know we had a question like that uh, somewhere along here. You did, yeah. yeah. And it's interesting that the question um, actually re- referenced Lenoc. Yeah. And the Lenoc, it does not exist on Kamchatka. Oh, okay. It, it does exist all over the Russian Far East, Mongolia, Siberia, but it doesn't exist on Kamchatka. But on Kamchatka, I mean, there's innumerable char species. Um, at both two yurt and uh, rainbows from above, we catch something called a charney comni galettes, black stone char, which is only found in the Kamchatka River drainage. Really interesting fish. I think I have a few pictures of them on my website that uh, have uh, they're black, as the name would suggest, with tiny orange spots, super pacivorous fish-eating monster, and if you see one in the river, you catch it 100% of the time. Um, They don't. You put a fly in front of those things, and they just eat it, no matter how many times you hook them. (laughs) (laughs) Dumb fish. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, that's something else that I, you know, I I didn't see in any of your pictures or any of the questions, but uh, I'm going to touch on, is the fish on Kimchak are really dumb. Uh, one of the questions I saw, I really am dying to talk about this one, is the number of the mouths of the big fish from Bruce in San Diego. Oh, yeah. uh, the mouths of the big fish starting to look like they've been regularly caught and released because of the increasing popularity of Kamchatka, like what is happening now in some of the popular rivers in Alaska. you you primarily using beads or Dalai Lamas. So that's a really great question. I like that one because – what you see in Kamchatka, so the, the Osraniya River, no, Tuyurt's a better example. So Tuyurt is very, very similar in size and scope to American Creek and Bristol Bay that comes out of Hammersley Lake. Um, the only difference is 
My Russian partner has a 50-year exclusive use permit for the entire river, so six anglers a week fish it. Last year, 36 guys went down it. I don't think anyone saw hook scarred fish. And when, no, there's no hook scarred fish. And one of my favorite stories, because guys ask me about bead fishing all the time, and anyone who's fished with me or knows me or really been around me knows that while I I guided for 12 years in Bristol Bay and, and, and painted beads back in the 90s with the best of them, I personally am not an aficionado of bead fishing. I, I, I personally, while I fished Bristol Bay not that many years ago and quite a bit, working for Rapids Camp Lodge, I used mice and streamers, and if I didn't catch nearly as many fish, that was my prerogative. I don't damage the fish, though. And so one of the problems that I see is Bristol Bay, those fish are damaged because they get caught too regularly, like on Moraine Creek or Funnel Creek or Kulik or Brooks or wherever you want to see them. They, they, you know, my dad, I took my dad to Bristol Bay back in 2004, and he caught a 27-inch rainbow on Idavane Creek, and I couldn't take a picture of it because they had so many wounds that were open. Oh, wow. And wow. never, never would I see something like that in Kamchatka. Um, you know, I, I, I will say that we just simply don't injure fish. One of the things that I've worked really hard on since the inception of me starting my second business in Kamchatka, the best of Kamchatka, in 2004, and one of the drivers was I wanted to really focus on hook mortality and hook injury. My boss at the time was worried about selling flies. I was worried about making sure we didn't damage a resource. So in 2005, when I started the Best of Kamchatka, I implemented a hook restriction policy. And I have continued to refine and work on the hook size restriction policy. And we're going to talk about mouse fishing, and this really comes into play with that. So what we don't see is damaged fish. Beading, when you have a pig bead five inches up from the hook, you, you get, catch a lot of eyeballs. Uh, we don't do that. And so, so what, I'll finish the bead thing because I really, this is kind of near and dear to my heart. Sure, go ahead. I had a couple guys on two years a few years ago. And we're floating, and we're between Camp 1 and 2. There's a stretch that's maybe two miles long that's just solid king reds. It's all gravel. There's king reds everywhere with big buckets. It's just beautiful. It's one of the coolest places I'll ever fish, all surrounded by big tamarack trees and cottonwoods. It's just spectacular forest that the river's going through. And... They said, you know, Will, I think we can catch more trout if we use beads. And I said, it's very possible. Let's give it a go. Because I, I just think that, you know, we always try. And But I knew the end result before we even started. So they, these were very, uh, very much uh, guys who had a lot of experience in Bristol Bay. They put on the bead rig, and they, they put on some big king beautiful bead and they dropped it in the water column and it would get down about a foot 
and they'd have a six-inch char on it. <laughs> and they'd pull that char out, and they'd drop it down about a foot and have a six-inch char on it. And they'd pull it out, and they'd drop it down, and have it. And this went on for about 30 minutes with both of them. And I remember they caught one eight-inch rainbow. And I said, you know, guys, what do you think? And they're like, we're going back to the meat. And, you know, <laughs> so when the guy asked the question about the beads and the Dalai Lamas, we do fish a lot of Dalai Lamas. You know, quite frankly, it's become, you know, the go-to fly a lot of places in the world. And we certainly, I think that mylar attracts Kamchatka rainbows like crazy, and we use it like crazy. But I also have, there's different companies that tie Dalai Lamas with smaller trailing hooks, which are far less lethal than, say, the 8089 Tiemco size two that a lot of the Dalai Lamas are tied on that have a long shank and a wide gap, which will get them in the gills. So uh, I know that Solitude Flies and some other guys sell them with small bronze or small black light wire hooks that have short shanks. Those are super effective. We use them like crazy. That said, you know, if you can swim a fly around in the river on Kamchatka, you're going to just you're going to catch a bunch of fish. Yeah, yeah. We need to take a break here, Will. We'll come back and talk okay. more about uh, Kamchatka's wild rainbows in just a minute. Looking for that shot at a permit? Whipray Key Fishing Lodge in Belize is where you want to be. When you stay at Whipray Key Fishing Lodge, you're on a private island and are only minutes away from some of the finest permit fishing in Belize. Whipray Key is just a 30-minute boat ride from Placencia. Once you're there, you'll be fishing Permit Alley, one of Belize's best fisheries, and you won't be taking long boat rides to get started. You'll fish with world-class guides like Daniel Cabral, whose family has fished the area for over 30 years. Want to switch it up and fish for tarpon and bonefish and make it a grand slam? They can make it happen at Whipray Key Fishing Lodge. Book your next adventure now. Visit WhipRayKeyFishingLodge.com. That's WhipRayKeyFishingLodge.com. And Whipray, it's key is C-A-Y-E, FishingLodge.com. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, and we're talking with Will Blair about Kamchatka's wild rainbows. If you'd like to ask Will a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and use the Q&A text box to send us your question. We'll receive your question immediately, and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. So, uh, Will, I always ask my guests, you know, what's going on in your fly fishing world? So uh, you've told us about uh, your three programs already. Um, tell us uh, maybe a little bit more about... Uh, What's involved in a person going on one of those programs? Um, so basically, they, you know, one of the things that I do is I, I, I like to talk to people. I like to hear what their interests are, what they really want to accomplish on a trip to Kamchatka, because things change. I mean, you're dealing with big populations of anadromous fish. Um, that move around and different things happen. Um, but when someone says go, they pull the trigger with us. We send them, you know, thing asking for money. But at the same time, we send out a, a pre-trip packet that tells you every possible thing you can want to know. We use a company called Red Star Travel in Seattle to get our visas and, uh, They've been working with me for about 10 years now, I guess, more than that, 12 years. 
family-run company right down the street from the Russian consulate, take care of everything for us. They're just dynamite. Um, and then once you do that, we, you know, one of the things that I find very funny and, and kind of interesting is sometimes people will be out there and they'll, they'll have these questions and they won't, they won't call me. And Roger, I, you and I know each other a little bit, um, cause you built my beautiful website too, but you know that I am always available. I mean, I pick up the phone, I call back and I, you know, so when people have questions, I want them to call me. Then you, you basically, you fly to Anchorage, you spend Sunday night in Anchorage at the Puffin Inn or, or wherever you want to stay in Anchorage, and then you fly over Monday morning. We meet our guests at the airport. It, Petropavlovsk International Terminal is a small little airport. It has two aluminum doors you swing open, and we're standing there waiting for you. All my guests get color-coded bag tags so we know what program you're going with. So Victor and myself, Victor Rebrikov, my Russian partner, who I've worked with since 1999, and myself, and Svetlana Kalavina, and Yegor Kalavina, her son. Uh, we're all standing there. We grab your stuff. We put it on the bus, and we all go as a big team up to where we grab an MI-8 helicopter. Um, we we jump on the MI-8 helicopter. We fly 45 minutes to a small village called Kazarevsk. At Kazarevsk, our people for our flyout program break off and jump in a small helicopter and go up to the lodge up at the lake. The people at the float trip on Tuyard and the jet boat program stay on the big helicopter. It's another 50 minutes, five zero, 50 minutes up to the Azernai. We dump all those guys off, eight or ten people a week, depending on the group size, and then the helicopter goes back down 23 minutes, takes it, drops everyone off at Tuyert, and then it's stationed back at Kazarevsk, which is a small village about 30 minutes away. And so we do all that every Monday. It's pretty, you know, pretty normal. One of the advantages that I think we have is we're doing everything on the east side of the mountains. We don't ever have to cross the mountains which, you know, Kemchak is a maritime place. It's surrounded by the Sea of Ohask on the west, the Bering Sea on the east. It's a wet place. It has, you know, fogs and fog and clouds. So everything we can do to minimize going over and through the mountains really helped. And it's just happenstance that we got lucky. And it helps us get our people in and out. Because our number one goal is to make sure that guys are fishing that first day. We want yeah. to get people out on the river, catch some sure. fish, you know, and then they get all calmed down and, and have a great trip. Uh, really our main driver is to get people out fishing as fast as we can. Then, you know, you leave Anchorage at 7.30 in the morning and you're fishing that afternoon, generally. Yeah, cool, cool. And um, we did have a question come in on the Internet about visas here. Geraldo in Boise says, is a visa required? Well, you already answered that course and uh absolutely what are the rate related costs and if plans change how difficult is it to change the visa so one of the things that's really fascinating is there's two different visas that we get for people 
depending on their circumstance and what they want to do. Um, these are, I, I think they're $250 for a 30-day single-entry tourist visa. Uh, you have to pl- apply for that 90 days prior to arrival. The vast majority of our customers, three years ago, uh, three or four, I can't remember, uh, the Russian, maybe it's more than that even, because I'm on my second one, the Russian consulate uh, started issuing three-year multiple entry visas, so uh, which has no time frame on which you can apply for it. So you can apply for a three-year multiple entry visa right now for your trip in the end of August, and no one cares, and it's about $50 more. So, you know, it's about $300. 300 for a visa, okay. Yeah, okay. and for a multiple entry, it's nice, because the next year you don't have to worry. It's really actually been a, kind of a boon for our, for our business, because a lot of guys, they're like, oh, I can go back super easy next year, and they come back. And uh, yeah. we we have a really really large repeat business um, that comes back with us every year, and it's really yeah. this three year multiple entries help that. And I think we uh, I may have mentioned your website earlier, but what's your website uh, URL so that people can find out more it's about your trips? The the best of Kamchatka dot com. The best of Kamchatka dot com. Good, good. Okay, well let's dig in a little bit more because. You know, you just mentioned, uh, well, how, how you get up there and you're on the river. So tell us what, you know, if you're on the Oz or two yurts, um, you know, what's what's a day like fishing the river with the guides? Kind of walk. You know, it's pretty straightforward. We have a mix of American and Russian guides. Um, most of them are pretty experienced. Uh, I train I, I go in and do a lot of guide training every spring, try and work on, make sure everyone's keyed in. Say, so the Ozernai is probably the best example. Um, we rotate guides there. So uh, say uh, day one, you get in my boat, and I always fish the, we break the river into beats. So there's basically five beats that we fish on the river. Each one is anywhere from 10 to Heck, my beat from what we call the canyon on the Azraniya is from the canyon to the mouth of the river. So it's about 60 miles that you can't even fish anywhere near all of it. So you jump in the boat with me. We drive 25 minutes down river through beat, uh, uh, the camp beat and uh, three islands beat. And we jump into uh, the canyon beat. I, a lot of times, will stop right below um, one of my favorite spots right below uh, the canyon. is this big, long, green, grassy flat where it's all knee-deep and has a lot of Kamchatka buttercup, which is a plant species in the rivers of Kamchatka um, that really is the moniker for there being a lot of great big rainbow trout in that river. They utilize it. Um, it grows in slower systems. We will fish in the two yurts, or excuse me, in the Azraniya, uh, a lot of times, like that big long flat, I oftentimes will jump out of the boat, walk the boat down, 
have the guys stand in our John boats. They're 16 foot with uh, 60 horse jets on them. And they cast from the boat. And we'll cast mice and streamers. I'll have the guy in the back of the boat cast a mouse, a downstream guy, and a guy in the front will cast a streamer. And, you know, I've always said this to everybody. The fishing part of the whole Kamchatka story is the easy part. I mean, there's just a ton of great big fish in the river. So that's a right below the canyon. I'll start there and walk 300 yards of, of the bank. And in that time, we might hook something like 15 big rainbows. What's you might rainbow? land. So Nazar and I, I'd say they probably average 22 inches. Um, we'll catch lots of 25, 26, 27 inch fish. So on that stretch of the river, or that, if, if I would just to take that as a, a baseline and you, that 300 yard stretch of those 15 rainbows that we hook, 100% of them will be over 20 inches. It's very rare on Osra and I to catch a fish under 20 inches. So that means, and, that means they, must be, uh, they must be growing rather fast then. If so so we had a gentleman a few years ago who came twice who uh, was a biologist for 26 years for Alaska Fishing Game on the Kenai. And Bruce took home in 2014 a bunch of scale samples of 20, 21-inch rainbows on the Osraniah. And he then talked to me later, and he thought that they grew about – 20% faster than a, a Bristol Bay or Alaska rainbow trout, which has a lot to do with the fact that not only does Kemchek have the huge biomass influx of the salmon, but there are big mayfly, caddisfly, stonefly populations. The Osraniya also has the biggest sculpin population of any river I've ever fished in my career. It's full of great big sculpins. Has big lamprey population, so outgoing lamprey in the spring, which really look like an olive and black Dalai Lama, is a major food source for the rainbows. But at the same time, they'll have huge caddis hatches and huge stonefly hatches. So they do grow really fast, and there are lots of really big trout. Um, mature, well, what it is is, is just simply a mature population. Yeah, and you said uh, when we were talking earlier today, you were saying that early in the season, the fish are already big and heavy, as opposed to like uh, fish in Alaska where they might be big but skinny from the winter. Well, yeah, I mean, that's just a function of that big influx of bugs. I mean, you can go to the Azraniah in mid-July and see the most incredible caddis hatches. I've, I've fished the Mother's Day caddis on the Arkansas, and the Osraniya caddis hatch in early July is every bit as prolific as that, and they're bigger caddis. And so those fish are just gobbling huge amounts of bug biomass, as well as outgoing salmon smolts, as well as outgoing lamprey, as well as, you know, leftover carcasses from the year before. So they come out of the winter really, really healthy. Hmm. Um, 
and pretty fast. Plenty of food, yeah, tons of food. It's yeah, lots food factory. Now, yeah. there are all those rivers are food factories. So, um, do you fish? Um, uh, you said you you, you put uh, two, you know, a couple of fly fishers in a boat. Do you, do you primarily fish from a boat, or do you do wading, or both, or a combination, or? Well, you know, it depends. So on the three programs, like Rainbows from Above, our fly-out program is 100% walk wade. We land on a small river, Headwater River, Spring Creek River, medium-sized river on the East Coast. It's 100% walk wade, demands a higher level of physicality, totally different deal. Um, the Azurnaya River program, uh, you can weight it, and back in the day, we used to weight it 100% of the time. But, you know, demographically, we have a lot of guys who are not what I would call, you know, spring chickens. When I first fished <laughs> Osranaya, you know, when I first fished Osranaya in 2003, what is that, 14 years ago, I was still in my late 30s, you know. That's pretty spring chicken. When, when I, when I start doing it now and I'm in my early 50s, you know, there's some spots on the river I don't want to wade. So it's just from a from an effective fishing standpoint, it's much more logical for us to, on the Osirniah, to walk people down the river. On oh, a so float trip with the... Yeah, I was going to say a float but trip. You but you can wade. You can wade. So it's not an easy answer because there's lots of gravel shoals. There's lots of small gravel back channels on that program where you can wade. So do you do any drift fishing? No, I wish we uh-huh. did, man. I'd do anything. I would do anything for a couple of drift boats on the Osirniya would be the best way. But I, I can't get a sponsor to send me two free drift boats in a container to Petra Pavlos. <laughs> If there's anyone out there listening. Get on the oars and start, you know, at the tip of the Aleutian chain and start rowing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, it, it, you know, the Oz would be a really great, it's being a huge spring creek would be a spectacular river to drift fish. But at the same time, you know, the long, not the long distance, but the distances and the way we break up the river so no one sees another boat during the wow. day means you have to have a boat like a jet boat that works really well. The Osirnaya is a shallow, rocky river, so fiberglass-hulled boats won't work. So it would have to be some kind of plastic or aluminum drift boat with a jet motor on it. And I, and I just haven't found one of those yet that is super Well, effective. I was thinking these were, you know, big, deep rivers, you know, considering the size of the fish, but they're what you're saying they're not. Nas is wide and shallow. It certainly has giant deep spots. Uh, in two th- the opening day of 2014, I drove a jet boat from our lodge, pro- our camp. I call it camp forever, but it's really cabins with a lodge, to the mouth of the river where uh, a couple guys we knew, there's a small commercial fishing po- base there with like 12 guys. I drove five hours by jet boat. We didn't see a single human. Wow. Uh, And about two and a half, it's actually a little spooky, about two and a half hours into it, the river grabbed a huge tributary called the Miamalia from the south. I mean, it's a monster river. 
just up from where it goes in the mouth of the Bering Sea, it's half a mile wide. Yeah. There's no one there. Zero people. Zero people. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's take a, another quick break here, Will. We'll be right back and dig okay. deeper into Kamchatka. So. Baja Fly Fishing Company is dedicated to fulfilling your vacation dreams. And just so there's no mistake, they derive as much pleasure helping a novice improve as they do fishing with a pro. From the casual to the hardcore, they can match your expectations with their experience and coaching. A vacation with Baja Fly Fishing is more than a fishing trip. It's a full-on Baja experience that you will remember forever. They know the Baja after 40 years of traveling its back roads, kayaking its shoreline, surfing, and snorkeling while pioneering the fly fishing techniques that have evolved and the tactics used today. They're well-versed in fly fishing the beach and kayaks on pongas and are well-versed in all tackle types. Join them in pursuit of roosterfish, dorado, marlin, sailfish, wahoo, jack creval, yellowfin, skipjack, and many other species. Learn more about Baja Fly Fishing Company by visiting their website, BajaFlyFish.com. That's BajaFlyFish.com. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, and we're talking with Will Blair about Kamchatka's Wild Rainbows. If you'd like to ask Will a question, go to our homepage at AskAboutFlyFishing.com and use that Q&A text box to send us your question. Okay, Will, a um, couple of things came up here. Uh, Phil in, in uh, Kentucky wants to know uh, timing for a trip to Kamchatka, June through <coughs> August, he wants to know. Is that the prime month? One of the key things is that direct flight. With a four-hour flight from Anchorage, you either have a four-hour flight from Anchorage or, and we do have people go through Moscow and Seoul, Korea. But June 16th is the inception of the flight from Anchorage with the Akuji Airlines this summer, and it goes till September 3rd, so we have an eight-week uh, window that's really the window. I mean, it, it's an easy time frame to get in and out. Um, I we weather. we ran a camp. Yeah, great weather. You know, good fishing. I mean, you just are not going to hit a bum week during that time frame. We did back in 2001 run a tidewater camp on the west coast of Kamchatka, second week of June. You know, it was hot and dry that year. We had great rainbow fishing. We were really tar trying to target kings on the Culpacova River. Uh, they were blowing by us because it was so low and hot water, and we really couldn't get them in tide water. But the rainbow fishing was spectacular. So, you know, we could probably start as early as mid-June, but there might be snow on the bank still. The trees won't have leaves on them. The real best time is from second week of July until mid-September. Okay, okay. And what uh, Phil also wanted to know about the, the sort of weather you could <laughs> expect, you know, during that time period. So July has been hot and dry for a number of years, super hot and dry, 70s through even high 80s, humid, oh. dry from a standpoint of not rain but humid. Um, in August you can get a cooler more rainy kind of uh, a season, and then into September it dries out and gets cooler. You know, none of the time that we're there is it really cold. Uh, yeah, I'm talking 50s during a rainy, cold day up to the 70s and 80s on sunny, nice days. 
uh, pretty much throughout the whole season. Um, you know, it's pretty rare for it to freeze before the third week of August. So sometime around the third week of August, well, I see there was uh, Scott from Oregon had a question about the bugs. Right. About mid-August, about mid-August, you might get that first nighttime freeze, and then you're starting to talk about a lot less bugs. Um, one of the nice things, like the Osraniya program, it's almost all it's mosquitoes. There's very few white socks or or black flies or or, or things like that. July can be buggy. Um, there's no question July can be a little buggy, but it's also great fishing. And if it's just mosquitoes, you put on a little deet and you're golden. When you're out on the river during the day, it's not too bad. Um, you know, the, the real bad bugs like white socks aren't as prevalent on Kamchatka, at least on the East Coast, as they can be on that big, giant, wet plain of the West Coast, which we do fish from rainbows from above our fly-out program, and we'll run into some bugs there during the day. You know, it's buggy. It's it's the wilderness. You know? yeah. By mid-August, though, if you really are worried about bugs, go after August 15th. Okay. Uh, Scott also uh, wanted to know about how rustic are the camps, any civilized amenities available, uh, hot water for showers. So all of our... All of our programs have unlimited hot showers. One of the other questions I can't wait to answer is about South America. But I went on a month-long trip. <laughs> wait on that. Wait I on went, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can't wait. And I went on a month-long trip to South America, to Chile, in 2004 with Mike Mercer out of the fly shop. And in that month, I never got a hot shower. Okay, a month? We were at places that had that had on-demand, that weren't quite working right. or really, Oh, yeah. And, and so one of my pet peeves, I have really uh, a few of them, but uh, one of my pet peeves is I want lots of hot water when I go to take a shower. You know, I'm yeah. working. Personally, I'm working really hard. I'm really, you know, when I go to take my shower, I want it to be hot. So the Russians have these fantastic wood-burning stove hot shower systems where they have a 100-liter tank right above a wood-burning stove. At two-year, we have a brand-new two-room with sitting room, shower building with unlimited hot water. Unlimited. <laughs> Azraniya, same deal. Every camp, everywhere, unlimited hot water. Rainbows from above is a little higher class. It has a natural hot spring right on the facility grounds. And uh, that is uh, spectacular. What are the accommodations as far as, you know, the buildings? So, Tuyard and Azraniya have basically the same little A-frame, wood A-frames, two people in the A-frame. There's wood beds, there's wood stoves, there's electricity. All the camps have flush toilets in outhouses. Azraniya and Tuyard have flush toilets and outhouses. Rainbows from above up at Tuyard Base Lodge has a couple of buildings that have flush toilets, plumbed-in toilets in the cabins themselves, and one of them actually has a hot shower in the cabin itself. Um, so uh, it's 
wood walkways. It's pretty nice. I mean, I would say two-year float trip is like glamping. I mean, the, the most anyone has to do there is uh, lift their hand up so the staff could put a beer in it. Really, yeah, I mean, there's yeah. there's wood stoves. On, on for instance, on two year float trip, we have uh, three guides, six anglers, cook, campan, cook, campan. Take everyone's gear ahead. When you if it's rain and pouring rain, at the end of the day, you get into camp three at two year. They're going to have the wood stove going. They're going to. You know, you're going to run to your cabin, throw all your stuff off. Those wood stoves and those little cabins, they can make them 800 degrees in there if you want to. And you can dry everything out. It's it's really, you know, there's one thing that Russians understand. It's wood stoves and firewood and making your cabin warm. So that's really, really straightforward stuff. Um, You know, my other pet peeve is dirty outhouses, privies. Everything is a flush toilet, goes out to a dry well, plumbed out behind the toilet, so there's no privies. It's not, you know, not like that. Um, I'm assuming so that it, um, as far as uh, connectivity to the rest of the world, you're totally disconnected for the week you're there? As far as thank that, God. <laughs> well, we have, we have satellite phones at all the programs that people can use in case of emergency. If guys are really concerned about being connected, there's you can get satellite textures now, you can get satellite phones, you can get all kinds of satellite stuff. I personally, you know, I know that one of my competitors has Wi-Fi in one of their camps now. Man, I don't know. I, I just, I'm not sure that that's what... <laughs> Kempchatka is all about. I, yeah. I, I, yeah. I think right now we're at the best of Kempchatka, still pushing back a little bit against that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dino in Michigan wants to know, how has the fishing changed over the past 20 years? Sizes, numbers, best tactics? Well, you know, that's, a, that's a, the, the baseline. The question, and, and when I mentioned baseline, so how's it changed? I think some things haven't changed. I, I first went to the Japanova River um, in 97 and 98. I, I think the Japanova is probably exactly the same. I haven't fished in a long time, but from the reports I get, it's about the same as it's always been. Um, after we I had worked there, I, I, I had a program for three years on the West Coast on a river, a big system called the Kolpakova. Well, Gazprom, which is a huge gas consortium, um, punched in roads all over that river area, that west coast area back in 2000, 2001, They really started moving in there. And once you have a lot of access, then those rivers, that river changed. And, uh, you know, I haven't been there, haven't been on that system in many years, but the you know, the reports I get is there's still rainbows there, but it's not like when we first fished it in 98 when there was no roads and no people, and I caught 100, you know. I, I always wanted to say I did this one time in my fishing career. And on my 31st birthday in 1998, I landed exactly 100 rainbows 
on a dry fly or a mouse in one day, all over 20 inches on that river. I don't, I, 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 I don't think. <laughs> oh, it was exhausting. It was from six in the morning till the helicopter was ready to leave with us at six at night. But I don't think that river holds that kind of prolific fishing that it had 20 years ago because it's road accessible. Yeah. Now, what I will tell you is that last year, rainbows from above, or maybe even two years, a better example. Last year, we had guys come off of two years that told me they hooked 100 rainbows in a day, you know, all the time. I had a lot of guys tell me that. And I don't think two years, because we're the only ones there ever, has changed. I don't think Azraniya, because it's such a huge system, and we do get maybe two or three float trips a year that will go through there. It's a massive 120-mile-long system that's bigger than the Nushigak in Alaska that has, you know, 15 lodges on it in Alaska. We're the only – we're fishing 10 guys a week. I haven't seen any difference, yeah. any difference, none. I mean, other than natural differences, I think we've seen – you know, I think that there are natural cycles, and over a 20-year time frame, I have definitely seen what I would say – is a, because I would say that right now on the Azraniya, the fishing right now is better than it was 10 years ago. And I think that is a natural, for rainbows, a natural cycle. Yeah, yeah, interesting, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, here you've been waiting for this one. Ron McNeil in Washington. What do you tell people that say my dollars would go much, much further in South America and the fish are bigger? So I would say this. This is a fascinating question. Um, your dollars for food and lodging will go farther in South America. I, I worked in, in Chile. I fished in Argentina. I fished Tierra del Fuego. Lovely, lovely places, lovely people, fantastic facilities because you can drive to them. You can drive a giant truck with wood on them, wood on the flatbed right up to the place and pound the nails. I would say that he's right about the fish being bigger if you're talking about lakes. Mm -hmm. Because there was another question about what do we fish? Do we ever fish lakes? We never fish lakes in Kamchatka. It's all 100% river fishing. I spent a lot of time in, in Chile and Argentina, so I want to make that really clear. If you think they're bigger in South America, you'd be right if you would, you know, say that in the lakes of South America. But river fishing number fish? No way. I totally disagree with that as far as river the size of the fish in the rivers. I mean, if you go fish the Cisnes or uh, a lot of those rivers around Koyaiki, they just don't have the biomass to support lots of big trout. Um, you have fairly sterile systems because of the amount of water rain in in the mountains and uh, in the, in the winter time in South America. So they get 
scoured out. There just isn't a lot of bug biomass, and you don't have the salmon biomass. And then if you look at Kamchatka, where they're low gradient, very little scouring. I mean, every rock is covered with stoneflies, caddisflies, and, and things like that. The, just the sheer amount of biomass available for the trout in the rivers of Kamchatka, there's no comparison. So I think if you want to have a lovely, lovely vacation, drink some great wine, catch some big trout in lakes, South America is the place to spend your dollars. If you want to catch lots of great, big, wild, native, which is not true about South America either, but wild, native river fish, Kamchak is the only place. I mean, it's there's no comparison. But you're not going to have the finest Malbec at every meal. You know, one of the <laughs> <Yeah>. funny jokes. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a difference, and 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 I don't want to take I don't want to take you know we actually do have people we had two groups last year came that own wineries and they brought cases and cases of the finest wines from uh, Napa and all those places with them to Kamchatka so they did have it but you're not going to have the kind of amenities they you can have when you can drive yeah to a place and build it but you also you know, uh, we have an article out right now with Fly Fisherman Magazine ranking us the number one trout destination on the planet. You take a look at the, the picture that accompanies, the, the triple picture that accompanies that article I took last year. That's on a river. I'm pretty sure no one else ever fishes. Uh, it's a spring creek. And, and I'll tell you, if I took someone there and they didn't hook if the group of four anglers from rain with our flyout program didn't hook 200 rainbows in a day, I'd give them their money back for that day. Every one of them over 20 inches and lots of fish up to 10 pounds. I don't know. I have never seen that in South America. Yeah. In yeah. the rivers. There's big fish in South in America, the... but you're saying there's not as many. Then it's not the... Well, Why not not as there? many, not in the rivers, not as many. I yeah. mean, it's just not possible because it's just the mathematics of biomass and fish production. It's just not possible. You know, if you look at a lot of those coastal rivers in, in Chile, that you'll see those big rainbows uh, pictured. And a lot of those are escapees from fish farms. They're not really riverine fish. Um, you know, you you look at a lot of the pictures that I see from South America, and they're they're lake fish. They're not river fish, except for maybe the Rio Grande, or you know the Santa Cruz, where they have steelhead, or the Rio Gallegos, or, or you know those fish that are anadromous or polynadromous fish coming into those big South America systems. But if you're talking about all the you know, stuff that is fished for many, 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 you know, Joe Brooks for many, many years. They really weren't centered around catching big trout in rivers. They were centered around catching big trout in lakes. Yeah. So from a okay. river fishing, for the river rat guy, Kemchak is the guy. Okay. Um, uh, one thing we didn't really talk about is, I, I mean, you've mentioned it, you know, dollies, Kings, salmon, uh, different species of salmon, and so forth. 
So when one goes over there, are you guys focused on the rainbows? Or if the guy wants to fish a day for salmon or dollies, um, can they switch it up? What's, what are the options? So two-year river flow trip is almost 100% rainbows. If you catch anything else besides the rainbow on that program, it's just by happenstance. Yeah. Azurnaya, our jet boat program, well, we can talk, take people up to, there's a volcanic plug above camp about 20 minutes where there's, where the dollies start staging as they come in. And I mean, literally, you can take people up there and from 9 a.m. when they start to 10 a.m., they're gonna beg mercy because you can just I mean, you can't cast without hooking a dolly. Um, and big dolly. The grailing and the big, yeah, yeah. We caught a 36-incher one time. And the, the grailing on the Osrenaya are large, lots of 18 to 22-inch grailing. We can certainly target those. You know, and this is one of the things that I, I've tried to, to make. And maybe I should put it on my front page. Call me. I know. I want to hear what people want from their trip, and then we can do it. Rainbows from above, our fly program, it's kind of all rainbows too. You know, uh, yeah. you know, there's a river that called the Kanenan that we fished. Uh, it's two drainages south of the Azurnaya, and and it's rainbows primarily when we go there. But I mean, we've been there. And the rainbows are way up river with the silvers or somewhere else. And you can catch a 22-inch grayling by, I mean, literally a 1,000 in a day. I mean, you could put five flies, caddis on your line sometimes in that river oh, and go is, through yeah. a run. And you'd, <laughs> you'd have five, yeah, you'd have five <laughs> grayling at a time. Okay, okay, well, that gives us an idea. Um uh, Bill in San Carlos, California, wants to know what's the ballpark amount for Americans to do, uh, he said, five- to seven-day trip. It's, are all, all your trips are seven-day, right, from start to finish? Everything's Monday to Monday out of Anchorage, yeah. five full days of fishing, two half days. You know, our prices are on our website. It's sixty-eight ninety-five for two-year float per week. Eighty-one ninety-five for for Osrenaya jet boat program, uh, eleven one ninety-five for the flyout program, which is expensive. You know, and, and one of the fascinating things is is people like uh, have really gravitated towards that flyout program, even though it's more money. But at the same time, and I've told people this a lot lately since we started that program, for the sixty-eight ninety-five price, you get virtually the same, if not some days, better fishing when you go to two-year float as the fly-out every day. You know, it's it's pretty James Bondy to fly every day. But yeah, yeah. Uh, door-to-door, where, where was he from? Where is he from? Um, California, California, Southern Cal. So for the float trip, door-to-door, it's going to be nine grand. With visa, airfare, hotel, tip, everything. Yeah. Uh, for Osrenai, it's going to be 11. For the flyout, it's probably going to be 14. Okay. Okay, that gives them a good idea. 
Um, uh, Larry uh, Edens in Windsor, Colorado, asks, he says, um, Will, what are the possibilities of a steelhead fishing trips to Kamchatka? Many years ago, I was signed up for a research trip with Wild Salmon Center in Moscow State University. I believe you were still with the Wild Salmon Center then. Unfortunately, the trip was canceled by the government, and I have not seen anything about it since. A good friend of mine, a member of the WSC Scientific Board, uh, was excited after his trip, and, and when I saw his photos, I signed up. What can you tell us about steelhead trips to Kamchatka? So, uh, it's a fascinating. I saw that question, and you know. So, Kamchatka steelhead fishing. You have basically what the deal is is there a red book listed species, which is a, kind of a mirror of our ESA, and you're not as an angler or a fisherman of any you know, net or spin or whatever, supposed to harass steelhead on Kamchatka. If you take oh. a look at a map of at a map of Kamchatka, there's a on the Sea of Ohotsk side, there are no steelhead on the east coast side of Kamchatka. On the west coast side, the Sea of Ohotsk side, there's a big knob that hangs off almost at the top called uh Cape Utolik. And on Cape Utolik uh, there's three rivers, Snalavayam, Kwachna, and uh, I forget the other name of the other one. Anyway, there's three rivers there, and the Wild Salmon Center has some bioreserves there, and they're watching those steelhead. And then you can go down. There's the Saichik, the Sopachnaya, where I worked in 1998. I'm actually looking at a triple of steelhead on my office wall I caught there with Scott Hall and Ryan Lampers in 98 when we guided there, and Sopachinaya. Then there's the Krotogodova and some others all the way down that west coast of Kamchatka that have varying degrees of steelhead in them. So the, the deal is that you can still steelhead fish on Kamchatka, you have to book it through the fly shop in Redding, California, which is my largest competitor, even though I, I really ran and started their programs for them. Um, other than the steelhead, I didn't start that for them. But they um, still do steelhead programs there, two-week program. Um, I will say that it's, it's a really – you've got to be ready to go. It's super hardcore wilderness. You look at mid-September to mid-October. You can get totally blown out. Yeah, Yeah. you can get totally blown out the whole time. It could snow three feet on you. It could be really, really, really challenging. There could be no fish. It could be too cold. It could be too high. It could be, you know, too much water, too little water. I mean, it's all the same variables that create issues with steelhead fishing regardless of where you are on the planet where there are steelhead and the only difference is you are in the middle of absolutely nowhere in the you know russian far east and it's not going to be very swanky so if you do have to play pinochle you're going to play pinochle inside of a canvas tent but (laughs) that said that said and I, this is kind of a near and dear subject to my heart because I would love, I don't know, that I'm probably getting too old to make this happen now, but uh, 
I would love to run steelhead programs on Kamchatka. And this is one of the, the sad things that I, I have to bring up in this interview. Uh, for instance, uh, Krotogodova, Oblakovina, and Kolpakova are three sister rivers on the west coast of Kamchatka that flow into the Sea of Ohansk. I had a, a tent camp on the Kolpakova for three years, and we did catch some steelhead at that tidewater camp in 2001. The Oblakovina has steelhead in it. The Krotogodova had, when in 98, when we came out of the Sopachanaya steelhead camp, we stopped on uh, the, the Krotogodova River in an hour. Monty and, and Scott Howe caught a dozen 15 to 25 pound steelhead, um, maybe more than a dozen. And then I read last spring that an Indian company just invested $700 million in exploiting a a coal field in the Krotogodova River System Valley, which means they're going to punch the roads even farther north on the west coast of Kamchatka, and that river, which has been totally unexploited and full of all kinds of crazy salmonids, steelhead, kings, rainbows, everything, is going to have a giant coal mine in the valley. So who knows what that means. Yeah. Um, if you go north of there, so for for Larry's answer, Larry, you know, come go trout fishing on Kamchatka, get the lay of the land, talk to the guys at the the, the fly shop, and you can go steelhead fishing still on Kamchatka. You know, I, I just, you know, you gotta you gotta be willing to say, it might be two weeks of my life. I might be the greatest two weeks of my life. It may be just a really, you know, a lot of sitting, in the yeah, playing <laughs> pinochle. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's try to ramble through some last questions here. Um, Andy in Minneapolis wanted to know about uh, what kind of rod weights and, and lines, leaders, and so forth that you need to bring over with you. I, I tell everyone bring six, seven weights. We fish almost exclusively floating lines with you know all these heavy tapered stuff that throws big mice and big streamers, which we're flinging out there, uh, six, seven weight. I prefer myself a seven weight because you never know. You might get that 32-inch rainbow on the end of your line, and you can't land them with the six. Yeah. Uh, we use almost exclude. So uh, the, the answer about tippets and leaders, so I tell everyone to bring the shortest, heaviest leaders they can find. If they can find six-and-a-half-foot zero-x leaders, I'll be happy because I'm going to chop it back. I bring three spools of tippet, kinds of tippet, to Kamchatka with me. I bring 10-pound Maxima Ultra Green, 15-pound Maxima Ultra Green, and one spool of 2x for dry flies. That's it. So <laughs> for yeah, the lightest I ever use is two X ever. Yeah. Okay. And okay. most of the time, ninety percent of the time, the guys in my boat, in the helicopter, or in my raft, are using fifteen pound Maxima Ultra Green okay. on seven foot leaders because I'll take that six and a half foot zero X, tie a piece of one foot of. Uh, 
15-pound alter green on there. That's a great mousing leader. That's a great leech leader. And you just, you, we don't lose flies ever. Yeah. Okay, talking about flies, what do you need to bring for flies or do you need to bring flies? Oh, so we, we do. And, and, you know, I've done lots of different things. So this is part of the uh, whole hook size restriction thing. Um, we use Moorish Mouse 2.0 with a dangling hook in the back. The Mr. Hanky, which has the same dangling hook in the back for mouse patterns. Those are basically the only two we use. Any other mouse pattern that I've used, other than some small short shank tube mice, there's one tied by a guy named Tony Peglii out of Michigan called the Jack's Mouse. That was, uh, I forget Jack, Jack the, it's the guy who started, who invented the gurgler. And he, it looks a lot like the gurgler, has a short shank little tube fly hook on it. The, the key is if you have long shank hook, wide gap, like I said earlier, you're going to damage fish because they hoovered in. They swallow the fly. Every year we'll have rainbow trout in Alaska that swallow the fly into the gullet, big, long flies. And so Dalai Lamas on small hooks, any articulated streamer on small hooks, sculpins patterns, olive sculpins like the Kelly Gallup Sex Dungeon. Great fly, man. That's like such a spectacular fly on the Osranaya. They really could fish nothing else. That and a mouse. Um, they're really just super aggressive fish. I think probably the best description is last summer I'm on the Osranaya and I'm walking these guys in the boat, down the bank, mid-August. We're in a big chum red. There's a hen chum and a, a male chum up against the bank. She shivers and shoots out a bunch of eggs. We watch this two-foot rainbow rush in and grab a mouthful of eggs. It drops back. It's right on the bank. It's right in front of us, 20 feet away. We can see it perfectly. As it drops back, it's chewing on the eggs and a big yellow mayfly comes floating over, and it's just eating a big mouthful of eggs, and this mayfly floats over, and it tips up and eats the mayfly. <laughs> my my guy in the boat standing right there watching it, this whole thing with me, he's like, what do you want me to do? I'm like, well, you got that fly on. Throw it in there, and he's got a, you know, a Moorish mouse on, and he wings it in there, and that fish gobbles up the mouse. So, you know, it... That really is Kamchatka, right there. So, do do you of what you mentioned, uh, mice and streamers? Uh, do, do you ever do any nymphing or or small dry fly, mayfly? Never once. Know? No. So no so need, huh? nymphing never once ever. I've never nymphished no. in Kamchatka no. in twenty one twenty years. Be twenty one no years. Point to it. Huh? Mayflies. <laughs> We do, we do, especially on the Osranaya, but on Tuyard, there'll be betas. In the fall, in mid to late August on the Osranaya, we can see a, uh, something that looks like a western green drake, a couple of really uh, light-colored mayflies that almost look like huge PMDs, uh, some other things that look like flavelinas. You can see four or five different mayflies on the water 
at the same time. What what the key is is you have to that has to happen during that interim time between the second run of chum salmon and the first run of chums. All the humpies are dead. All the king salmon are dead. The silvers aren't shooting eggs. The second run chums aren't shooting eggs. So those rainbows now have kind of a dry spot of protein in mid to late August. And then you'll see some real serious head and tail rise action. You know, it's really hard for for guys to focus in on that. And, and early in the season with caddis, you'll see lots of rainbows eating emerging caddis. And here's Kemchatka again. A couple years ago, I'm guiding a guy. It's July. We're right down, maybe two bends down from the lodge on the Azraniah. And I can see all these rainbows way down below us on the run, eating emerging caddis, that big bulging rise. And the guy had been out the day before with one of the other guides, I'm sure, a Russian guide. And I, and I, and I had the boat anchor, and I said, let's get out and dry fly fish these guys. And he's like, all right, I'll do it, and, you know. And he's not a very experienced angler. And I said, can I switch you up to a, to a, you know, a nice, you know, like, uh, October caddis or, or, you know, some kind of nice caddis put on. He's like, no, I used this all day yesterday. It worked great. And what, what, let me see it. And he pulls, pulls this fly over to me and, and it's a, like a Messinger clipped hair frog bass fly. <laughs> and I'm like, you really? He's like, yeah, I love it. I love it. I said, so go ahead and wing it out there. Yeah, whatever, whatever you got, throw it in there. <laughs> They'll probably eat it. Yeah, and he throws it over these rainbows, eating these, you know, emerging caddis, and it just they annihilate this, you know, this yeah. clipped hair deer frog, deer hair frog, you know. Yeah. So, it, but okay. but a guy is who'd be a good angler would a uh, good dry fly guy would see that. Okay, yeah. sorry. Well, we got uh, we're, we're over time right now, but I want you to just talk a little bit because we had a question about uh, mousing. So, tell us about mousing in Kamchatka. What you do, how you present, uh, what it's like, what the action's like, and so forth. So, mousing in Kamchatka is super simple. It's quartering downstream and across, cast it out, drop your rod tip, chug it along. If you're in a boat and we're moving along, you have to strip it. But the vast majority, if you're on your feet, you chug it, rod tip low. You want to have your rod tip low. None of this dancing, jiggling up high. Rod tip low, the fish will kill it. They chase, 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 and then they'll kill it. Looks like a toilet bowl. You kind of got to let them have it a little bit. Um, hence why we use the special hooks with the Morse 2.0 and the Mr. Hanky flies to not let them eat it too deep. Um, and it's, I'll tell you, it's the most effective way. The single largest trout at any of our programs, and I think overall all of the biggest trout at the Osernaya have all come on the mouse. In 2015, we had a 32-incher eat a mouse right down from camp in a foot of water. You know, so it's a super effective way to do it. It doesn't work very good when it's rainy and overcast and terrible weather. If it's sunny, 
beautiful high sky and stable barometer, Mousen's going to be on fire. And you don't have to fish at night or anything like no. that? No. No. No, no, no. You can't fish at night at Kempchak anyway because the bears will eat you. <laughs> That's for another show. <laughs> Okay. Okay, so mousing's really pretty easy then. Uh, that sounds super cool. easy, super productive. It's just yeah. a matter of cast and move and cast and yeah. move and cover the water. If it's not working and you give it 30 minutes and you don't catch anything on it, put on a streamer, you're going to catch some fish. You know, I think people get frustrated and then don't, you know, don't stick to it. It's yeah. one of those things where you got to say, I'm going to be, a, I'm going to be a mouse fisherman today. And yeah. you, Get it out there, you cast it around, fish everywhere. One of the things that happens in Kempchak is the trout can be everywhere. There's very few large avian uh, and raptor predators of fish, so the oh. trout will sit in super shallow water. You can catch them anywhere. And the guys make the mistake of only fishing the prime water. They'll be everywhere. Oh, well, wow. Well, that's a good, good note to end the show on, so uh, let's do just okay. that. And uh, hang with me, though, here, Will, because um, we're going to give away uh, a few prizes, membership to the International Fly Fishers and a one-year subscription to uh, the Fly Fishing and Tying Journal, as well as a Best of Kamchatka hat. So um, stick with me for a few more minutes. The Bristol Bay okay. region of southwest Alaska is home to the largest runs of wild salmon on the planet and some of the best trophy rainbow trout fishing found anywhere. Pebble Mine still remains a threat to the region, and 2 million acres of federal lands may also be at risk. The entire fly fishing industry is united in this epic conservation battle. Anglers from across the country are joining the fight. Be one of them. Visit SaveBristolBay.org to learn more about how you can get involved. SaveBristolBay.org. And just a quick reminder to everyone, before you leave the website tonight, please take a minute and give us your feedback about the show. You can find the link under the on our homepage in the section under tonight's show that says, what did you think of the show? Just click on that link and leave your comments. We'd really appreciate it. So now it's time to give away a few prizes. Um, the winners for our drawings are randomly selected from our show's registration database. If you didn't register for tonight's show, it's too late now, but make sure you do so for our next show uh, so you don't miss out on any uh, a chance to, to win some of these great prizes we have. Um, if you are the lucky winner, we'll contact you after the show and provide you with information on how to receive your prize. So the first one we're giving away is a, a membership to Fly Fishers International. Uh, to learn more about uh, IFFF, go to flyfishersinternational.org, flyfishersinternational.org. Great organization to support and um, uh, be part of. And let's see, I'll fire up the database here. And it looks like uh, Mike Frankoff, Mike Frankoff in Texas. Uh, so you now are a member of the Fly Fishers International. So congratulations. And uh, we'll catch up with you after the show to get your information. And then we're going to give away a uh, subscription, a one-year subscription to the Fly Fishing and Tying Journal, uh, which is courtesy of Amato Books. Uh, to learn more about what Amato has to offer in the way of periodicals and books, go to amatobooks.com, amatobooks.com. And... Uh, our winner there is Jim Cappy, Jim Cappy in North Carolina. So uh, congrats, Jim, and uh hope you have fun tying a lot of the great flies that are illustrated in the Fly Fishing and Tying Journal. So enjoy. Um, okay, now we'll do we'll give away a Best of Kamchatka hat. And um, 
thanks to Will Blair and the Best of Kamchaka group. And I clear my queue here. So let me make this one easy tonight since we're, we're, uh, we're running over time here. Um, tell me the two rivers that, uh, that Will talked about all night long that his, his company, uh, runs, uh, the program's on. So what are the two rivers? You can, um, you can, uh, abbreviate one of them if you'd like, because you may not know how to spell it, but, uh, give me those two rivers and we'll see if we can't get you a hat here. Okay, so I'm just uh, waiting for them to type in their answers. And by the way, I, I, everyone everyone should support the fight against Pebble Mine and Bristleback. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. really, 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 really an incredible yeah. resource that we need to save in our country. And then if people don't know, um, they just kind of got an open doorway to, to apply for permits via the new director of the EPA. Um, yeah, Scott Pruitt had a 37-minute meeting with yeah. the CEO of Pebble Mines guys, and they said, yeah. "Okay, let's you guys yeah, so it's, apply." It's now. even more important to, to to keep working on this thing. Um, yeah. And uh, let's see here if we get a winner. And still looking. Sometimes it takes a bit to get that in here. <laughs> okay. It looks like. Uh, uh, I got, I think, a, oh. Yeah, I mean, too, spelling but, uh, is not going to be easy. No, I got, uh, those, those are not the Oz here, but uh, David Willem put in Oz and Kamchaka. It's not Kamchaka. Uh, so let's, I thought that was going to be easy, <laughs> but I've been looking well, at it a lot. Well, it's not that easy because <laughs> yeah. the other one's a little bit... Is an American derivation. Of, oh, uh, oh, uh, it is. Yeah. Okay, so uh, we'll we'll give it to David Willem in Minneapolis. Um, okay. With Ozunaya, and uh, the other one for your information, uh, folks, is uh, two yurts. Yurts like what you you know you can sleep in. So. Um, Correct. It's it's yeah. about Yurtishnoya, which is uh, two yurt was a historic uh, reindeer herding area. Yeah, okay, cool, cool. So, David, uh, send me your um, address so that Will can send you out a hat, and um, uh, you can do that in the same box uh, on, that you answered in. Uh, send me your address again, uh, and I'll get that over to Will, and we'll get that off to you. So congratulations, and thanks for paying attention there, and uh, uh, we appreciate that. Will, I want to thank you for being on the show with me and taking your time out. I know we're getting to start a busy season here starting uh, day after tomorrow, right? Um, well, you're probably yeah, starting thanks. tomorrow. Yeah, I appreciate right? it. <laughs> yeah, I've, I set up tomorrow. Anyone in, in the Denver region, come on down and visit me and visit the show and support the, the, the fine people that are at the show. And um, thanks, Roger. I appreciate it. I always love talking about Kamchatka. So it's, it's <laughs> yeah. just fun to do. Huh? What I love. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot. Our next broadcast will be on uh, January 17th, uh, 7 p.m. Mountain, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. And that, sh and that show I'll be interviewing Norm Ziegler. And our topic for the show will be famous fly fishers. Uh, so Norm interviewed 21 famous people who fly fish and has published his interviews in his latest book, Famous Fly Fishers. These people are famous for what they have done in their careers and not for their contributions to fly fishing. Uh, politicians, businessmen, bankers, musicians, astronauts, scientists, and artists are just a few of the professions these fly fishers represent. Uh, you'd know a lot of the, the names if I if I said them. 
to listen in while Norm tells us their stories of why they fish and what this great sport means to them. Whose stories will we tell? Well, you'll have to join us to find out. So uh, see you on, uh, on January 17th. We'd like to thank the Fly Fishers International, Amato Books, Whipray Key Fishing Lodge, Watermaster, um, Baja Fly Fishing Company for sponsoring our show tonight. Don't forget to visit our website at askaboutflyfishing.com and make sure you're signed up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any, any of our future podcasts. Thanks for listening to Ask About Fly Fishing on the radio. We hope you enjoyed the show. That's it. Good night, everyone, and good fishing.